Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. Recently, we've been in a series entitled Walking with Christ Through the Gospel of Mark. And we've come to the 8th chapter of Mark. So let's turn in our Bibles to Mark chapter 8. Now, if you are somewhat new to this podcast, or maybe you're new to the Christian life or to church life, or you're wondering what that's all about, what I'm going to do is to teach from the Bible. We're looking at the life of Christ, the things he said, the things he did, and who he is. And the way I'm doing it is called expository preaching or teaching or exegetical preaching or teaching, where we pretty much stick right here to what the Bible says. You know, it's amazing how much light the Bible sheds on the Christian life and and church life. So if you've been raised in another tradition, then b- buckle your seatbelt, <laughs> strap that helmet on. All right, we're going to look today in Mark 8, at the fact that God is often hidden in plain sight. I was watching a documentary series a while ago, and it was about the efforts of our Defense Department and military to use stealth technology and and making aircraft and even tanks invisible to the enemy, and even soldiers invisible. And one of the ideas in stealth technology, for example, within the use of uniforms that soldiers wear, is it it uses light from the um, objects around it, like trees and grass and rocks and so on, to basically blend that soldier in visually with with where he is, so that in essence, the eye only sees more grass, trees, and rocks, and so on. It doesn't see the soldier, and that's being hidden in plain sight. Well, let's go to Mark chapter 8, verse 1. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him and saith unto them, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. Now, there's an interesting thing here I want to point out. We're going to see the second time that Christ miraculously fed a large group of people. And we know it's the second time and not the same one because it's in the same book. We've already seen it happen with the group of 5,000 men and their families. And now we see it happen again with a group of 4,000. And Christ himself, is, as we'll see in this chapter, even mentions both distinct times this happened. So uh, both times are not the same event. Notice here that Christ brings up the fact that the people have been there uh, three days. He brings up the fact that there's really nothing for them to eat where they are, and he's concerned about them. And that shows us a lot about the heart of Christ, the heart of God for us. In the other miracle, the disciples brought that up. But here, Christ brings it up. So we see that he presents the problem to the disciples. Verse 3, he says, And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, 
they will faint by the way, for divers of them came from far. And his disciples answered him, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? I want to give the disciples some credit here. Now, I could be wrong, but I'm wondering, did they, did they get it the first time, the first miracle, that man can't do this, but God can, and Jesus, you're God? So maybe they were saying that, or, or maybe they were more like we tend to be, like, well, what are we going to do? We're just people and complaining and all of that. It could have been either way, but, you know, maybe they had caught on. And he asked them, how many loaves have ye? And they said, seven. The reason I think maybe they caught on is in the first time this happened, he had to send them out basically to locate what they could find. Well, here they already know that there's seven loaves of bread among this large group of people. Verse 6, and he commanded the people to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and gave thanks, and break, and gave to his disciples to set before them, and they did set them before the people. And they had a few small fishes, and he blessed and commanded to set them also before them. So they did eat and were filled, and they took up of the broken meat that was left seven baskets. Now again, in the previous miracle, it was twelve baskets. You remember that? So here it's seven baskets. Verse 9, And and they that had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away. So often God is hidden in plain sight because here this great miracle, the uh, same type of miracle as in feeding the 5,000 occurs again. And I want you to think about something here. Back up in verse 2, Christ mentions that they've been there three days. Now, he could have done this miracle each of the three days they were, there, they were there, but he didn't. It was the third day that he did the miracle. Maybe in some way that was even uh, uh, poor tending the fact that he, he is the bread of life would arise on the third day. I don't know. I may, I may be reading that into that, but it could be. But the main thing I want you to see is so much of... Uh, popular Christianity has the idea that the Christian life is just a miracle a day. And, you know, you can claim your miracle today and all this kind of stuff. And, and I think we should definitely be looking for God to work in our lives. I'm not saying that, you know, that we shouldn't do that at all. But what I want to point out is right here, he could have done a miracle every single day, just like they were fed, uh, the Israelites were fed thousands of years prior when they were in the desert and God provided the manna every day in the morning. Well, here, though, for whatever his reason was, he waited till the third day and he performs this miracle. So I, I just want to say to you, if you're not seeing, quote, a miracle a day and your entire Christian life every single day is not miraculous, well, that didn't happen here either. And Christ was standing right there physically among them. So lighten up on yourself, all right? But but he does this fantastic, great, actual miracle. It, it wasn't like some parable or story or a myth. The people ate lunch or supper, and they were satisfied. They were full. These hungry people were actually fed, really. So this great miracle occurs. Verse 10, 
And straightway he entered into a ship with his disciples and came into the parts of Dalmanutha. And the Pharisees came forth. Now these were the the really, 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 really Bible-believing conservatives among the Jewish people. They were, they were trying sincerely to really defend Scripture and follow God, but they, they'd gotten way off the path, um, kind of overboard in some wrong directions, as we've already seen in, uh, in, in the Gospel of Mark. But they were not against God. They were not against the Bible. They thought they were looking for Christ. He was right there among them, and they were missing him completely. It was He was hidden in plain sight right in front of them. Because watch what happens. And the Pharisees came forth. He say, by the way, why do I make that point about the Pharisees? Because there was another group among the Jewish people called the Sadducees, which didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe that people would rise again from the dead at the resurrection, you know, I don't think they really believed in the Bible in essence, and I'm not even sure they really believed in God. They were what we might call today uh, liberals, uh, religious liberals. Um, so so among the Jewish people, the Pharisees were, were really uh, apparently trying to, you know, do the right thing and follow God, but even they were missing Christ. And the Pharisees came forth and began to question with him, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. This is crazy. By this time, like you look back in, in Mark 8, verse 1, massive multitudes are following Christ. People are being healed when Christ walks down their street. Yes, people People were be, had been, like the little girl had already been raised from the dead. Others had their sight restored. They could hear again. They could talk again. The woman with the hemorrhage was healed. Amazing public, verifiable miracles had been occurring all over Israel. And the Pharisees said, we, we want you to prove it. Show us a sign. That I want to say, in my opinion, that is willful blindness with the evidence right there in front of them. To them, it was hidden in plain sight. They just were all wrapped up in their religion, their rules, and they were missing God. So they're seeking a sign. And it says tempting him. So they were trying to get him to say or do something that they could accuse him about and get rid of him. Verse 12. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why doth this generation seek after a sign? Verily I say unto you, There shall no sign be given unto this generation. And he left them. And entering into the ship again, departed to the other side. You know, there was just a point here at which Christ was exasperated with them. And he refused to play their game because they were willfully blind. So he said, back in the, back in the boat, guys, we're going back to the other side. He didn't teach anything there. He didn't do any miracles, you know, at that moment on that side. 
he didn't even continue arguing with them or try to show them proof that he was God. He just said, I'm out of here. He got in the boat. He went back to the other side. Now I want to say to you who listen today, many of you are not Christians. God has been very gracious to you. He's shown you in so many ways how much he loves you and who Jesus Christ is, that Christ is in fact God. He is the Savior and Lord of mankind, if people will turn to him. He is how your sins are forgiven. He is how you will be welcomed into heaven. But many of you know what I've just said. You've seen and felt and experienced what I've just said. But you are willfully blind. You are in a very dangerous position of God just saying, that's it, I'm done. And he goes to work with people that care. So if that's you, you should repent and turn to Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. Because here we see he did not waste any time at this point with these people. One of the reasons I think he didn't do that is there was enough evidence for anybody that wanted to know the truth to see it. So at this point, anybody not seeing it, not understanding, seeking a sign, was just being deliberately obstinate. Now, in the Gospel of Mark, we only have to go to Mark, through Mark 8 today, then Mark 9 and 10, and then we come to, guess what, Mark 11. Well, so, Mark 11, the rest of the Gospel of Mark centers on the what we call the Passion Week, the week of suffering for the Lord Jesus Christ when he gave his life to pay the price for our sins. So, from Mark 11 to 16, like most, most of the Gospel of Mark, the, the rest of Mark, um, at least the last half of it, centers on that one week, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So Christ knows his time is short, and he's not going to spend it wasting it time arguing with people who just, uh, like the song says, there are none so blind as he who will not see. And that's who the Pharisees were at this point. So he leaves. Wow. Verse 13, verse 14. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. And he charged them saying, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. Now I think what he was saying here is, Leaven influences everything that it's in, like uh, the yeast and the dough and all of that, and the bread rises. So it's an influence, and it's often used in the Bible to, to picture a bad influence. So I believe the Pharisees represent religion without God, and I believe the leaven of Herod, the, the fake politically appointed king of the Jewish people, who was he was not even Jewish, represents government without God. By the way, our founders believed to the very core of their soul that the American experiment in a republic that there was for the people, by the people, and of the people, and all of that, that it could not 
succeed without God at the center of it. That simply is a fact. So watch out, America, if we're escorting God out the door. Watch out. Now, so he warns them to be be uh, careful on guard against the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Obviously, he was speaking figuratively, metaphorically here, spiritually. Well, the disciples were just like we are most of the time, and they get it all wrong. Verse 16, and they reasoned among themselves, saying, it is because we have no bread. <laughs> and when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, Why reason ye because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not yet, neither understand? Have ye your heart yet hardened? Having eyes see ye not? And having ears hear ye not? And do ye not remember? When I break the five loaves among the five thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? They say unto him, Twelve. And when the seven among the four thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said, Seven. And he said unto them, How is it that ye do not understand? Huh. Wow. Even to well-meaning disciples that had actually cast out demons by this point and healed the sick and so forth and preached the gospel, even to them, because of their dullness, their spiritual dullness, Christ was hidden in plain sight. They were missing him. As long as we're with him, we don't have to worry about our basic needs. Jesus said in Mark 6.33, Seek ye first, like first priority, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. But they, they were forgetting this, and they were worried about having physical bread. And he says, guys, you've just seen me feed 4,000 today. And earlier in the Gospel of Mark, you've seen me feed the 5,000. Don't you know who I am yet? Don't you get it? I care for you. I'll take care of you. Wow. Listen, I forget that a lot, and maybe you do too. And sometimes God is right in front of us, and, and he's hidden in plain sight because of our own spiritual dullness. All right. Preacher, move on to something else. All right, let's go to verse 22. And he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. Now, many of Jesus' miracles have been done in great crowds. Here, he takes this person aside privately. I believe God deals with us personally as each of us needs to be dealt with. And here, this man needed to be dealt with very privately. If you're looking to God to always do certain things in your life and always follow an exact formula, like what you saw him do in your friend's life or the way he did something in your life five years ago that has got to be done exactly the same today, God is not reduced to a formula. 
You can't keep God in a box and say, now you got to stay between the white lines because he's the only one that paints the white lines. Amen? So if God wants to do something new and different in your life, differently than you've seen it before, just trust him. If he does something in somebody else's life different than he did it in your life, that's okay. He's God. Amen. So here in this verse, very compassionately, he, he took, verse 23, and he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught or, or saw anything. Verse 24, and he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. Well, obviously, and, and say, well, Ed, why wasn't he immediately healed? I know what you're thinking. That's what he always did, where he immediately healed people. I don't know why he did this differently. Maybe so that people would see that it really was him that healed him. Because now the, the man can see to some extent, but it's like his vision is fractured. That's okay. God's in charge. Verse 25, and after that, and by the way, you know, the idea that he has uh, spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him. Many people Jesus healed just with a word. Many were healed because he walked through their marketplaces. Many were healed when they touched but the hem of his garment. Jesus healed people up close and personally. He healed them at, at a distance and never met them by a word. Wow. So he, he's not reduced to a formula. He doesn't do the same thing the same way every time. If you read your Bibles more, you would know that. <laughs> all of us, we would all know. If we all read our Bibles more, we would know that without having to be told. You know, hopefully you did know that. All right, so um, verse 25. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up, and he was restored and saw every man clearly. And he sent him away to go to his house, saying, Neither go into the town nor tell it to any in the town. You know, one of the reasons I think Jesus told him that and did that that way is because now, from, he, from here on out, Jesus Christ was intent on making his way to Jerusalem and to our cross that we belonged on. and He's going in our place as fast as he can. More and more and more crowds uh, unnecessarily could, could um, I don't want to say it would delay his timetable because that wouldn't have happened, but, you know, big crowds is not what he was aiming at here. He was aiming at making his way to the cross for you and for me. Verse 27, And Jesus went out and his, and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi, this is more like up in the, the mountainous areas of Jerusalem. Like that's where the government officials and rich people would go. You know, I guess when it was summer, they would go to the mountains to get away from the heat. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But some say Elias, and others one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, 
But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answereth and saith unto him, Thou art the Christ. And in one of the, the other Gospels, it says, Peter says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Mark only gives us here part of what he said. But Peter clearly identifies who Jesus is. He is the promised Savior, the promised Messiah. So Peter, Peter is walking here in, in Revelation. This was, in the, in the other Gospels, Christ even says that uh, Peter was blessed because this was re revealed to him not out of his own thinking, but by God himself. So Peter is speaking under the inspiration of the Spirit right there when he says that. If you want to know who Jesus is, he's not a great man. He's not a great teacher. Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Chosen One, the Son of God, the Savior and Lord of the world, and you need to trust him. You can't slide anymore saying, well, he's a great teacher. Well, he was, but he's far more than that. He is, in fact, God. Verse 30, And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. Verse 31, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man, that's himself, Jesus, must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Wow, Peter thinks now he can rebuke Jesus. But when he turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. So Peter went from walking in Revelation to being rebuked because, in essence, Satan was speaking through him to try to deter Christ from the Calvary road, from going to the cross. And Christ doesn't tolerate that. And he rebukes Satan, speaking through Peter. Wow. You know, when you think about it, the devil and demons ruin everything they touch. And here they're trying to ruin your opportunity to be saved through what Christ did on the cross by keeping Christ from going to the cross. You can't trust the devil. You can't trust demons. So Christ rebukes that. Now verse 34, And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, sort of like he says, All hands on deck, now hear this. You know, he got their attention. Uh, so he calls them unto all of them uh, with the disciples also. He said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or 
What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Wow. Christ is through willful blindness and spiritual dullness. He is often hidden in plain sight from people who need him. I hope that God has opened your eyes today that Jesus Christ went to your cross and died for your sins. And if you trust him as your Savior and Lord, you're going to have to pick up his cross as well, your cross now, and follow in his example and live for him. And he said, if you try to play it safe, you're going to lose it all. But if you, if you lose it all, you risk it all, you keep it all, because you'll be in him and you'll be saved. Remember, demons ruin everything, and the people they influence ruin everything they touch. I can think of certain political parties that do that. Don't be grouped in with Satan and those that seek to oppose God, Christ as God, and the truth of God, the Word of God. Get on His side and stay on it. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope this has been a blessing to you. Invite others to listen as well. They can find us at www.dredhill.podbean.com. Remember, that's www.dr, no period after the dr, dredhill.podbean.com. Next week, our next episode, will go to Mark chapter 9. Thanks for listening, and God bless.